0: Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske.
1: Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. It is I, Jason, bringing you on a journey with us. For episode 229 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, hey, this week we're going to be visiting with cross-genre author Evelyn Puerto. I had such a fantastic time talking with Evelyn, getting to know her, and hearing about all the different genres that she likes to write in. Uh, We're talking about how she hated writing early on, uh, before she began a career in it, uh, writing misconceptions, the inspiration that went into her YA epic fantasy and award-winning series of The Outlawed Myth. And uh, we're also talking about how her time spent in other countries led to lessons that were learned that then went into her writing. This and so much more. It's a great conversation, lots of laughs and uh, she really had me thinking and, and uh, identifying with so many of the things that she talked about, and it's it's a fun conversation, one I think you're going to really enjoy, and uh, you're going to really like her reading as well. The books sound incredible, so can't wait to share this with you. Just uh, go ahead. If you, if you don't want to hear my update, then you can jump ahead about uh, four or five minutes to get to the interview. But meanwhile, uh, as for me, I have been, well, (laughs) about half and half busy. So after episode 228, I spent a lot of time doing some writing. I'm getting really close to wrapping up Bandit 2. And in the week after that, though, I didn't get anything else done really with it. Just lots of things pulling at me and pulling my time. Uh, But, yeah, I am getting that much closer to finishing up Bandit 2 and then... uh, I should be starting the first round of edits on it here really soon. I'm very excited for it. And, you know, and I'm at that stage where I just, I can't wait to be done with it. But that's also dangerous because I don't want to be done too fast and then just like put it out there, uh, which ironically is something Evelyn and I discuss during the conversation. But, you know, I've, just, I've got just so many other things pulling at my attention, uh, not just in my life, but like other projects as well uh other there ideas for stories that I, I i just keep thinking about like oh my gosh i would love to write that oh i would love to write this too and even short story ideas nowadays uh after i wrote the one back in the fall so lots of good things on my mind uh, another thing i'd love to do and i think i've mentioned this before but one of the other things i want to do is i'm going to i'm going to release uh my first two books uh, nine mile bridge and novel idea going to bring them out wide open them up uh, so they're not just on amazon they're going to open up to you know the apple library and uh barnes noble wherever wherever i can put them uh so i'm going to have those available here just as soon as i can get over to them a nine mile bridge this should be a nice and easy one to do i just got to update the back matter and and uh, i might do a quick like just a very minor edit on it uh, to see if there's anything that i missed the first time because that one I did put out quick, um, and I've had to edit a little bit as the time goes on, but mostly I've left it alone. Um, and people really enjoy that book, so that's a good thing. So I'm not going to mess with it too much. Uh, but my second book, Novel Idea, I still think that's a really good story, and it, it really speaks to me. But I think it needs it. I think it needs a bit of a rewrite, so I don't know. I'm going to look into it and see if it's possible I may pull that one down um, and then re-release the uh, new version of it when it comes up it just depends I, right now i got to finish bandit 2 that's where my mind is that's what i'm focused on and i want to do that before anything else of course i say that but at the same time i just put up some new t-shirts on our t public store for the Sable chapter podcast and i have a few other ideas that i've almost completed uh, designing so you know, you wanna, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can hop on over to the T Public Store. I've got a link in the uh, well, I'll I'll add a link in the show notes. But if you go to thesamplechapterpodcast.com, there's a, a a link there. So yeah, just lots on my plate right now, and uh, a whole lot of things coming up here in February that's going to be pulling me away from writing. And uh, but uh, uh, but only my writing, not the show. I have interviews lined up. I have people. Coming on and uh, new episodes coming out bi-weekly throughout the month. So it's going to be fun. Well, uh, before we get over to the interview, I want to thank Writer's Block Coffee for uh, for being a part of the show. We're an affiliate of them, which means if you click the link in the show notes or if you go to Writer's Block Coffee and you make an order, make sure you use the coupon code Sample Chapter to get 10% off. And uh, anything that you purchase, the show gets a little bit of something uh, to help support our you know, hosting and all that other kind of fun stuff in there. Uh, but Writer's Block Coffee has three delicious flavors. Uh, all of them are fantastic. And, of course, you know me. I love that whiskey barrel-aged blend. It is so good, and it smells amazing whenever you brew it. So check that out in the show notes. I also want to thank my friends over at Pop Goes at Culture Network. That show and network has been growing like crazy In the past year or so, and uh, yeah, that especially the Pop Goes the Culture podcast, they have been really busy with on the on the uh, on the conventions where they go to a lot of those, and they are I mean they are the guys to go to uh, these days uh, when it comes to you know being on stage and uh, taking care of celebrities. They got some great stories from their most recent one, Uh, but yeah, make sure you click that link in the show notes so you can hop on over to the website and check out all the amazing shows on that network and uh make sure that you uh also reach out to them and tell them jason says hi i also want to invite you to follow this show the sample chapter podcast on social media you can find us very easily by just searching sample chapter podcast on facebook twitter and instagram uh, you can find out what we've been up to episodes that we have you know new episodes and old episodes usually on thursdays i like to do a throwback thursday and these days, I like to pick a theme and go with that. So, like one day it'll be one week it'll be sci-fi. Another week it'll be westerns. Another week it might be some romance. You never know. Hey, maybe you know February's coming up. Maybe I'll do some romance. Um, could even do poetry at this point. We've got a lot of poetry in our back catalog. But uh, yeah, you can follow us along on social media. Now, if social media is not your thing, but you still want to reach out to the show, you can do so by emailing me at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'll be sure to get back to you just as quick as I can. And I know there's a whole lot of you that have been reaching out to me lately, and I have been really bad about my correspondence. So, uh, But I am keeping track of all of these, and I will be getting back to you uh, here right away. All right, well, hey, without further ado, it is time to get on over to our interview with my guest, Evelyn Puerto. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back. And this week, I'm very excited to bring to you a new author to me and, and to uh, quite possibly uh, many of you listening. And uh, we, are, we are talking this week with... E- Evelyn Puerto uh, she is the award-winning author of behind the rapids and she has her uh, all new award-winning series of the outlawed myth talking today about the about book one of that series flight of the spark uh, Evelyn reads just about everything and anything and everything that uh, she finds and writes in multiple genres uh, once she married she inherited three stepdaughters a pair of stepgrandsons, and a psychotic cat currently she writes from South Carolina And uh, you want to make sure to click that link in the show notes if you want to follow along with her and uh, get a free short story if you sign up for her newsletter. So meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the show, Evelyn Puerto. Hi, Jason. (laughs) Hi, Evelyn. (laughs) How are you today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm keeping it together.
0: That's all we can any, any of us do.
1: Exactly. Yes. As long as you can keep it together, it's a good day.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, uh, you, you've got a varied backstory. And I know one of the things I came across was that uh, you you really hated writing. Earlier in your career, you just, you were like not interested at all. So what changed?
0: Well, yeah, when I was in school, like everybody else, we had to do all this writing and I absolutely hated it. I, I hated it so much. I'd put it off to the very last minute <laughs> if I could. And I did well in it. And the teachers always encouraged me, but I still hated it. And then one of my poems in high school won an award. And on the strength of that, I was offered a writing scholarship. And being a stupid 17 year old, I turned that down because I was not about to be a writer. So I go on, I get a degree in hospital administration, and I worked in that field for 10 or 12 years. Then I went to Russia as a missionary and did humanitarian aid with doctors and hospitals. And while I was there, some people came, or I would go down to Ukraine to help with a children's camp and a medical clinic. And there I met this amazing family. The father had been a Baptist pastor during the Soviet Union, and they had all endured all this persecution. And they were amazing to listen to. Well, fast forward, I'm back in the States. And a woman who'd been there in Ukraine cornered me and said, you need to write a book about that family. And I said, no, thank you. I'm not a writer. Well, she persisted and twisted my arm. And finally, after several months, I agreed to do it. And what amazed me in the long process of doing that was how much I loved the process of writing. And I enjoyed so much putting the story together to get the biggest impact and to figure out the right words to express the emotion. And and I just loved it. And I realized in school, it was all about the performance. I had to write something somebody else told me to write. And it was all for a grade. Mm. Whereas this was partly for the pleasure of it. And to write something that an audience would like. Not necessarily a teacher giving an evaluation. So there I am. Now I'm 10 years later, really enjoying the writing. <laughs>
1: that's awesome I can I can relate to that I I never liked writing my assignments for class uh, li- same thing wait until last minute and uh, oftentimes I'd have my little black and white TV sitting on my desk in my room I'd be watching like I don't know a rocky rerun or something or maybe, maybe the Muppet show who knows
0: right and uh,
1: I'm trying to just quickly write it out just as fast as possible for the assignment tomorrow and okay great got a 76 percent I'm I'm good with that. That's right, I hated doing that, but I would spend days on end uh, just dreaming up stories that I would write for myself or my friends, and that I had fun with, but never put it together that the one day I'd be actually doing this it's crazy
0: right i I never would have believed it. I never would have believed it <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> what What were some of your misconceptions about writing?
0: Oh, the biggest thing was you write the book and then you write a letter or two to maybe two or three publishers and then they publish your book and you sit back and watch the sales come in. <laughs> Silly me. So I did not realize that the marketing and the selling and all of that is at least takes up at least as much time as it does creating it in the first place. And yeah, I didn't realize that the marketing is as a as much of an art form as the writing that what works for me today might not work in six months. What worked for my friend won't work for me. And it's that tweaking and just constantly coming up with something more creative to do to try to get the word out there. Mm. And I realized, you know, Amazon has 5 million books on their platform. And if you imagine a pile of 5 million books, how is anybody going to find yours? And that's yeah. kind of what we're up against. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly right. That was something i started thinking about towards the end of my first book was like okay how am i gonna get you know uh, people other than my mom and my neighbor across the street and a few other people to know about my book and i mean that was really the genesis behind this show was was to uh, i was like oh wait a minute there's i've I've got a whole group of authors that i'm friends with that yeah we all have that same problem like oh maybe i'll create a show and we'll just promote you know people's work and and I don't know if it works or not, but uh, it's, I'm having fun with it anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My, my biggest misconception was that Grammarly will fix all my problems and it's ready for uh, publishing after that. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and you don't just hit fix all and then call it good. So I did that, and then I showed it to my wife, and she looked at me, and she goes, you haven't published this yet, have you? I was like,
0: "Um, (laughs) Yeah, Grammarly has let me down a few times.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I love it. I really love it. I've learned better how to use it since. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And I've even learned a few English lessons along the way. Finally, after about the 151st time, I finally was like, oh, yes, comma, okay here we go that one doesn't need a comma so
0: <laughs> I still try to argue with it over the commas sometimes
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so yes.
0: it just doesn't feel right to me
1: yes oh my gosh well now what is I, I I saw here on your website you were talking about your uh you have a favorite part of writing that's also a problem and that got me my curiosity of what is that
0: well I love the research part of it I could spend all day on that. And sometimes it's a short little thing. Like if you get shot in the arm with an arrow, how would somebody pull that out without totally destroying your arm? And what kind of disability might you have after that? And sometimes it's just long. I can get lost in reading about Byzantine history or looking at maps of ancient Mm. empires and trying to imagine what kind of world could I create out out of this or What kind of plot could come out of this historical incident? I could do that for hours. And of course, it's all perfectly justified, right? I might need this someday. (laughs) And what's happening, the problem is the actual writing is, and the creating is just not happening. So I've learned I have to do that research at the end of the day when I'm getting more tired and not likely to be writing. But yeah, if left to myself, that would be all I would do.
1: Oh my gosh, that would be, yeah, that's quite the cycle. I think if I was researching at the end of the day, it'd be hard for me to go to sleep because yeah. that happened to me last night. Matter of fact, I <laughs> was trying to, I had something hit me at the end of the, my work day. And of course I couldn't write anything down. I didn't want to pull over. I just waited till I got home, but then dinner and everything else. And then about bedtime, I suddenly remembered, oh my gosh, I had, I would fixed this scene in my head couple hours ago i gotta write it down real quick and i mentioned to my wife so i'm writing it down and then i mentioned something else to her and then she makes a comment that clicks with me i'm like oh that fixes the next scene and <laughs> all of a sudden i'm going and an hour later my wife's like so are we not going to bed or <laughs> right. what are we doing It's like oh no you're right you're right right let me like get to this stopping point here and which i try to get to a point where it's um, instead of a stopping point per se, I try to get to a point where I know what I'm going to say next. So Mm -hmm. when I, that way, when I open it, then I can go from there. I, I've fallen into the trap of, okay, end of that chapter. Okay. Let's go to bed. And then the next day I'm staring at that page of the next chapter and like, Oh, what was I going to (laughs) do?
0: Right. I've, I've found that too, that I have, sometimes I even stop in the middle of a sentence so I can just pick up and go, but yeah, it's amazing how you can get lost in the process and just keep going when you're in in that zone, and it's hard to break off from it.
1: Yeah, yeah. But that that would uh, I, I've been known to stay up late because that all of a sudden hits me, and I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, good night, good night, good night, good night, y'all, yeah, love you too. <laughs> and next thing I know, it's two in the morning, and I got to be up at five. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, goodness. oh wow. <laughs> well, so flight of the spark was uh, sparked by some inspiration what what was that
0: well one day I was in my car listening to the radio and this news story came on and at first I wasn't really paying attention to it it was about this family and they had two kids aged something like 10 and 6 and they lived in a nice area safe area And they let the kids walk to the park by themselves about half a mile down the road. And they had strict instructions, stay together, don't talk to strangers, all that stuff. And they would do this and it was perfectly fine. And after a couple of weeks, one of the neighbors called the cops on them and said they were endangering their children. And these people almost lost their children over this. And the person giving the news story made some comment about safety and freedom and and that started me thinking about that's true our culture has become more obsessed with safety when i was a child we used to get on our bikes and we would ride around the neighborhood and as long as we showed up for meals nobody was terribly concerned about where we were <laughs> you know yeah. so you know what what is this what has happened and i started thinking about what if a society has traded all safety all, f- all freedom for safety and that taking a risk was the worst possible thing they could do, and that started building this world. And the protagonist in Flight of the Spark is somebody who starts to question this, and and finds out to her her uh, dismay that that asking questions could be very dangerous.
1: Oh my gosh, I that's one of my favorite things about doing this show and talking to other authors hearing that inspiration how how random it is
0: mm-hmm. you know it's
1: it's you know from from this from the, just a little snippet of a news story and how that got the wheels turning to a dream that made no sense to you know whatever I, I i was inspired by the look on somebody's face one time it just got me thinking like what are they thinking right now and all oh, of a sudden wow. i all of a sudden i had a story idea that i just couldn't shake and mm-hmm. it, it's just so amazing how the writer's brain works, how we start world building based on just the smallest little bit of information. And I just, I love that. That is so cool. Yeah.
0: It, it is amazing. Yeah. Just one little snippet of something can become a huge idea.
1: Yeah. Well, tell us about, uh, tell us some more about Outlawed Myth and uh, Flight of the Spark.
0: Well, Flight of the Spark is really a story about Safety and Freedom, it's also a very loose Romeo and Juliet retelling set in this epic fam- fantasy world. Mm. So, like I said, these people have traded all their freedom in exchange for safety. And one day, the protagonist, Iskra, has done something fairly risky, and she's traveled to another village and is on her way home to her home village. And the caravan she's with is attacked by bandits. The trader she's with, and she run up into the mountains to escape... The traitor is caught and killed, but she is rescued by two men. One of them is a trader from her home village that she vaguely recognized, and the other one is a member of this outcast group called the Riskers. And that is meant to be an insult because taking a risk—if you take a risk—you must be some kind of savage. <sighs> so they take her back to the Risker camp, and she's expecting them to be living like cavemen and all kinds of things, and. Not only was that not true, but they had a much higher standard of living than anyone in the village. And she realizes everything she'd been told about them was false. And then she starts to wonder, what else are they telling me that's not true? Hmm. So she returns to the risker camp surreptitiously a few times because that's forbidden. Ends up falling in love with a risker. And then when the village authorities find out about that, things take a very dark turn for her and I'll leave it at that
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my yeah I I I can relate to that I I grew up in the 70s and 80s which still Mm -hmm. feels like yesterday to me right yeah I same as you I remember going all over town and and like oh it's lunchtime I better get back home and
0: have Mm -hmm. lunch
1: and you know mom didn't think anything of it you know she just assumed I was in the neighborhood Mm-hmm, and, that's right. and uh yeah but uh but that that's awesome that sounds like a great story and you are up to is it book four now
0: book four i finished book four which is the conclusion of uh, it nice okay. yeah know, but yeah i got there <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was uh what was one of your biggest challenges going from like book one to book two
0: going from one to two i did something that I don't know that I would do again, but book one has one protagonist, two has another one and book three has a completely different one. So changing my mode from being in the head of the first protagonist to getting into the head of the second one and making them a completely different character, that was a little bit of a shift. And then going to the third was even a bigger shift. So it wasn't just an easy flow with a straight line story, Mm -hmm. but but that did make it a lot of fun because all three of them meet up in the end and uh-huh. come into conflict.
1: Okay. Oh my gosh. That, that sounds exciting. <laughs> that does, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. That's really interesting Then how that uh, came together. Now, now, you do have another book that was, uh, that was award-winning. What is, what is that one?
0: That one was beyond the rapids. And that one was the story of the Ukrainian family that was persecuted in the St- Soviet union. It was, basically, I wrote their memoir.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, and and that was something I noticed that you, the time, it seems like the time you spent in other countries inspires your, uh, your writing more than just that first book, but uh, maybe Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. uh, the outlawed myth. Uh, Can you, can you speak on any of that? Anything from, uh, uh, from your travels that uh, came into the outlawed myth series?
0: Yes. I lived in Russia for seven years and one of the things that was very evident during those years was just how rule based the society was and how people didn't question mm-hmm. and i used going to the markets the open air markets as an inspiration and i used some of their customs and then the I, then a lot of their hospitality when you when you are friends with a russian and they take you into your house they treat you, the, the hospitality is just overwhelming. And that's in contrast to people that you would meet on the street, that if you're a stranger, you're met with ice cold, and ice cold affect. But the difference between the people that you don't know and the people you know was dramatic. And I tried to work in that hospitality. Um, There was one thing that really made me crazy about living in Russia was that uh, the idea that, customer service was not a thing. You know, I grew up in America where you expect to be waited on in the store, right? <laughs> and you go into the, the the thing they called a grocery store. I don't even want to call it that because it doesn't resemble anything like you would know here. And I'd be in line and the woman in front of me is chatting with the sales clerk and that woman leaves, obviously they're friends and the sales clerk looks at me and says in a very hostile tone, What? I was like, sorry to bother you. (laughs) And I would meekly ask for the cheese or whatever it was I wanted. And another thing that really made me crazy was all the stores closed from two to three for dinner break. And you just didn't do your shopping from two to three. And one day that terribly inconvenienced me and I was ranting to my language teacher. And she said, well, Evelyn, they have to close the store to mop the floor. And I said, I get that in Russia, it's winter seven months out of the year. And there's people trekking all this slushy snow and you have to mop the floor. But American stores manage to mop the floors without closing down the whole store. She says, well, then they have to restock the shelves. And I had an excuse for that or a rebuttal to that. And then she said, well, they don't they have to eat their dinner, the workers, and they don't have time in an hour to go home and cook their meal and eat it and come back. So they bring in, have hot food brought in. And if you don't eat all at the same time, then you don't get hot food. And that's very important in the wintertime, especially. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to see your point. But then she finally got to the real reason. And that was by eating dinner together every day, you form this collective, they call it. that's your work group. And having a good work group makes a big difference to how your life goes. So If, say, your plumbing is broken at home and you want it fixed, you can call the government agency, and maybe in six weeks, they'll send somebody over who shows up drunk and really doesn't know what they're doing. (laughs) But in your collective, maybe somebody's, I don't know, husband's cousin's aunt is married to a plumber, and through that connection, they'll get somebody over in a day or two who isn't drunk and knows what they're doing and doesn't charge you some kind of extra fee for them to show up on time. Uh So it's all about how the world works. And I realized from that, that no matter how bizarre the custom, they have a logical reason for it. Mm -hmm. And so as I do my world building, as I try to think of different things that people do that might seem strange to other people, I always try to base it on some logical reason. It may not come out explicitly in the book, but at least there's some... Coherent logic to the system in that mm-hmm. culture and it all hangs together.
1: Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. And that mm-hmm. makes a difference in the story rather mm-hmm. than just, well, it's you know, it's just because that's just the way they are. Like, no, it right. makes sense. If you can explain it and then mm-hmm. it, it's like getting behind the scenes of the bad guys. Like, well, well, yeah, he's not really a bad guy. He's He's right to do something that he thinks is right.
0: <laughs> exactly. He has a reason and it makes sense to him.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're just in the way. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: My reason is more important than you. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. That's that's some wonderful backstory there. So what's uh what's next for you after uh after, now that the the series is coming to an end?
0: I've started a new series and I'm about 3 quarters of the way finished with rewriting the first book and this one is a sleeping beauty retelling but halfway through it takes a very different twist and the story doesn't end with them kissing to break the curse that's just when things get exciting so <laughs> i'm working on that one <laughs> and and i've been trying to think i'm trying to plot out the next one and i'm kind of stuck on that so that's an excuse to do all of that research now. We'll yeah, exactly.
1: So
0: I'm trying to limit that and say, no, we have to be focused. But yeah, I, I want to start plotting that one and get that one in motion. Oh, so fantastic. that's where we are with that.
1: Fantastic. So where can people find and follow you to, uh, to hear when the next book and the next series is coming out?
0: My website is evelynpuerto.com. And they can go to subscribe.evelynpuerto.com and sign up for my newsletter, and then they'll get all the updates and and all the news Fantastic. that way.
1: Fantastic. All right. And I'll make sure to have uh, links to that in the show notes, everyone, Great. so that you can find that and, uh, yeah, sign up for that newsletter so you don't miss out anything coming from Evelyn in the very near future, it sounds like. so.
0: We hope in a couple <laughs> months, that one will be out.
1: Outstanding. <laughs> Evelyn, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I, I've had a lot of laughs, and uh, I've been really intrigued and uh, fascinating to hear your uh, your backstory and your stories about uh, with your series and all that, and I, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. This was just a, a great conversation. It was fun to talk to you.
1: <laughs> thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my cup of Writer's Block coffee, and I'm going to hand the floor over to my guest, Evelyn Puerto, with Book one of the Outlawed Myth series, Flight of the Spark.
0: Thanks, Jason. Chapter one. Iskra wasn't sure about many things except one. This would be a day she'd remember her whole life. She stared at her mug of tea lost in anticipation. Today, for the first time in her 15 years, she was going to leave the village of Gishan. People didn't often travel from village to village, it was considered an unnecessary risk, which made no sense to Iskra. The idea of seeing a new place and new people seized her imagination and sent tingles down her spine. She was confident that the thrill of something new would be worth the discomfort of a few hours on a wagon. At first, her mother had been adamant, Iskra was not going anywhere. Undaunted, Iskra put her mind to convincing her mother, Every time her mother complained about the quality of candles, Iskra reminded her that better ones were to be had in Shinru, along with soft woolen stockings and shawls, and she'd heard a rumor that the shoemaker in Shinru was already selling summer shoes, and Luza needed a new pair. By some miracle, and perhaps by Iskra's zealous attention to her chores and our tireless arguing, her mother relented. In fact, she had no idea why her mother had granted her permission, maybe... Lusa had decided to indulge her daughter just as she'd indulged in a little too much wine that night at the inn. Whatever the reason, Iskra didn't care. Her heart raced at the thought of just seeing something, anything, beyond drab Gishin and its surrounding fields. For once, she'd taste the illusion of being free from the rules that constrained her every move. She lost herself in a daydream of what was out there, what wonders she might see in Shinru, a town two or three times the size of Gishin. Then she heard whispers, the words arriving as if on a cold breeze, breaking into her happy reverie. Old Cassie was taken last night. Iskra jerked her head around, seeking to find the speaker. She scanned the faces of the women sitting to her left on the worn wooden benches, all huddled over the meager breakfast of runny porridge and pine needle tea that village provided. The women all looked the same, garbed in shapeless faded and mouse-colored dresses, and aprons over woolen leggings, all with hair cropped under their ears and across their foreheads. The only variations were the colored bands that circled their left sleeves at the shoulder to announce their professions. That's right, said a thin woman hunched over her tea. She's gone. Iskra noticed the woman's shaking hands and pale, fearful eyes. She wondered if Cassie was someone the woman had been close to. The words repeated themselves in Iskra's mind, cramping her stomach. She stared at her half-eaten porridge, no longer hungry. Old Cassie was taken last night. A hand grabbed her shoulder and brought her back to reality. Are you coming? We'll be late. Yes, Tavda, Iskra replied. She shook herself as if to free her mind from the fear that had gripped it and followed her friend through the crowded hall in the inn, where most villagers ate their meals, since cooking was considered to be unsafe. The hall didn't seem as noisy and energetic as it had just a few moments ago. She shivered as she stepped onto the dirt street, a chilly breeze puffing in her face, making her blink. She drew her threadbare slate-colored shawl closer. Iskra hurried to catch up with Tavda, passing rickety wooden stalls displaying withered apples and potatoes with sprouting eyes, pottery and candles, shoes and shawls, past people wearing their drab gray clothing. She caught up to her friend just as Tavda burst out from between the rows of stalls, into what the village of Gishan called a main square. The town's monument to safety stood in its center, a statue of a man holding a sword in one hand, his other arm held out to protect an old woman and a little boy. Iskra thought the woman and the boy looked as if they didn't think the man could protect them from a cockroach. She frowned at the monument, noting it was shabby and worn down, much like the village. Six or seven wagons were lined up on one side of the monument, some empty, Others piled with the coarse earthenware made in the village, along with stacks of newly cut wood. Brown-clad traders piled goods on wagon. Iskra printed to the third wagon, where Tavda's mother, Revda, was negotiating with a trader. These girls are only fifteen, Revda said, pointing to the white bands on the girls' shoulders that marked them as students. You'll look after them? Revda looked hard into the man's eyes. He smiled, his grizzled eyebrows almost completely hiding his eyes like they were my own granddaughters. Revda didn't smile back. Make sure my other daughter meets them. She handed the man a few coins. She'll pay you the rest when you get there. Then she hugged Tavda. I'm still not sure about this. Iskra felt her knees grow weak. If Revda didn't allow Tavda to go, her own mother was sure to forbid the trip. She'd look forward to this excursion for weeks and winced at the thought of it being denied at this last moment. Tavda pulled on her mother's sleeve. "'Ma'am, you promised I could visit. "'We'll be fine. "'See all the guardsmen?' "'She pointed to the opposite end of the square, "'where ten guardsmen wearing their dark brown leather uniforms "'sat on their horses. Ten men to protect us. "'We'll have no problems on the road.' Tavda's mother pursed her lips and shook her head. "'Iskra hadn't thought about the bandits "'known to prowl the road between Gishin and Shinru. "'It just now occurred to her to wonder "'if going to Shinru was such a good idea. "'Her mouth felt like she'd eaten dust for breakfast.' Her enthusiasm for travel started to evaporate like dew on a hot summer morning. <laughs> Tavda's mother scowled at the guardsmen as if she doubted their ability to protect anyone. Besides, Tavda said, you know the candles in Shinru are safer than the ones here, just like the darning needles, and you did want me to try to find a new teapot. Guardsmen's cheers interrupted her answer. Kaberko, the Efor of Gishin, strode through the market, his long black cloak swirling around him, his leathers creaking, the gold chain of his office draped over his shoulders, glinting in the sun. Koberko walked down the line of the caravan, placing his men at the front and rear of the line of wagons. He stopped when he saw Iskra. Peace and safety, Iskra. Peace and safety to you. She smiled at the huge man who'd been like an uncle to her after her father died. Kabirko looked from her to Tavda. Tavda is staying in Shinru for a week, but you, you are coming back today. That's right, Iskra said. Tavda's saying with her sister. She asked me to ride with her since I've never seen Shinru before. I'll be back on the afternoon caravan. Are you sure this is safe? Revda pushed forward to get close to Kaberko. Of course. My guardsmen will make sure they arrive safely. You have nothing to worry about. Iskra felt the knot in her stomach relax. She was silly to be concerned. Kiberko was right. He always was. She smiled at him, grateful for his reassurance. Her excitement about leaving the village, stirring back to life, Koberko smiled at Revda and the girls. Peace and safety. He turned and continued his progress along the line of wagons. A large horn cut through the crisp air. Here, it's time we got ready, their trader said. He boosted the girls onto the wagon's wooden seat. He settled into place beside Tavda. Don't worry, he said, looking down at Revda. They'll be safe. A few more minutes of jostling horses and shouted goodbyes. Another blast of the horn, and the caravan set off. An hour later, Iskra was nodding off the slow, rocking motion of the wagon and the warmth of the sun having lulled her into drowsiness. She let her thoughts wander, barely paying attention to Tavda's chat with the trader. Old Cassie was taken last night. She hadn't realized she'd spoken out loud until Tavda poked her with her elbow. What did you say? Iskra shrugged. That old Cassie's gone. Taken. At least that's what I heard. She grabbed the wood rail of the wagon as it lurched over a pothole. Hopefully they wouldn't break an axle passing over the holes and ruts that pitted and scored the road. Dried leaves from last fall spilled onto the dusty surface. Twigs and branches scattered about bore testimony to winter storms. How do you know, Tavda asked, about Cassie? People in the inn were whispering about it this morning. Tavda nudged the trader with her elbow. Is it true? Is old Cassie gone? Tis true. He shook the reins to spur the horses to move a little faster. It's about time, Tavda said. He gaped at her friend. How can you say that? Tavda couldn't mean what she was saying. She often didn't. She was old, Tavda said, and crazy and slow. I hated to get behind her in the market. She'd study each raisin, inspecting it for anything wrong before she'd put it on the scale. Took her half an hour to buy half a pound. She shook her head, shaking her wavy, auburn hair. For what seemed like the hundredth time, Iskra noticed how the prescribed haircut of cropped hair and bangs flattered Tavda's round face. The fact she also had thick curly hair and large dark eyes didn't hurt either. The short hair didn't look well at all with Iskra's straight, dirty blonde hair and long oval face. She thought the cut made her resemble a horse. It's not so crazy raisins, is it? the trader asked. His voice was low and he spoke slowly, mimicking the cadence of the horse's hoofs. Maybe not, Tavda said. She picked up her basket and started adjusting the perky red bow she'd tied around the handle. Maybe she's sick and they'll send her back. The Scrob pressed her lips together. She didn't think so. When the healers came for sick people, they usually told someone, a family member or neighbor, and announced when the person might be coming back. But Cassie hadn't been ill, so no healers would have come for her. That only left the prime May's guard, which removed the worst troublemakers. Those people were gone, taken in the middle of the night never to be seen again, not even to be spoken of, simply taken. People who'd committed lesser crimes at least got a trial. Iskra wondered what kind of horrible crime an old woman could commit, barely aware of Tavda and the traitor swapping gossip. Maybe, Iskra said, maybe she really is crazy. Who, Tavda asked, Cassie. Iskra wrinkled her forehead, frowning. Yesterday, she grabbed my arm and demanded to know when I'd give her the Desiradon, whatever that is. She shivered at the memory of Cassie's wide, wild eyes and menacing tone. The trader dropped the reins and stared at Iskra, mouth open, brows drawn together. The what? The dun. She said I had it or would have it, and she wanted me to give it to her. She leaned back and blinked a few times when she saw how pale the trader's face had become. Better forget you ever heard that girl. Don't tell anyone. Ever. He practically spit the words out. But, hush, a guardsman's coming. He picked up the reins and clucked to the horses. Iskra noticed the trader's beefy hands were shaking. She watched the guardsman ride past her wagon, a burly man on a large horse, armed with a short sword and a bow. Iskra had always been told the prime Koname's guards were there to protect the people, but somehow today she felt a sense of unease when they drew near. A cloud slid in front of the sun, casting a chilly shadow over her, making her shiver. The guardsman glanced at Iskra, Tavda, and the trader. Then he moved along the caravan. When the guardsman was a few wagons away, Iskra asked, why should I forget? What's a desire done anyway? The, t- <dumpling> the trader's face reddened. It's dangerous. Don't talk any more about it, or I'll put you out and you can walk the rest of the way. He slapped the reins against the horse's rumps. Forget the words of a crazy old woman. He leaned over to glare at Iskra. Do you want to be taken too? She bowed her head, shivering under his anger, cringing at his disapproval. She most certainly did not want to be taken. Then Cassie really is gone, Iskra thought. No one had been taken for several years, but in the past six months, four people had vanished, and the village gossips whispered they'd been taken. Iskra hunched over her basket as another guardsman approached. He passed her wagon, then guided his horse alongside it. "Hey, traitor!" the guard shouted. The trader spun to look. "Yes, if you please," he sounded nervous to Iskra. She would be too if a guardsman yelled at her that way. "What's that you have there? A sword?" "No, if you please, just a knife for cutting ropes and such." The man's hand shook as he pulled the knife out and held it up. Ha, make sure that's all you use it for. It would be a shame if you weren't here to trade this route anymore. The guard touched his heels to his horse's sides and urged it to proceed up the line. Suddenly, the spring air didn't feel so warm anymore. The spring sunshine barely able to penetrate the shadows of the trees lining the road. Iskra huddled in her cloak, clutching it tightly around her, thinking. Iskra wondered that the guard would threaten a trader like that. Did Kiberko know his guards did that? He must. No doubt he only took people who threatened other safety. The wagon jolted over a rut in the road. Iskra clutched the edge of the wagon. Tavda fell against Iskra laughing. Iskra sighed. Tavda didn't seem at all bothered by the trader's warning. Her own thoughts were as unsettling as the uneven road. She glanced at the trader who was still scowling. She didn't dare ask any more questions. No sense getting him even angrier. She had no desire to walk to Shinru or have to explain why the throbbing vein in his forehead burst. But something didn't seem right. Everyone knew that the Taken were unsafe to be around or wanted to overthrow the prime konome. That didn't seem to fit Cassie. She swayed back and forth with the bouncing of the wagon, letting her questions jostle each other in her mind like chickens in a box. She jerked upright, startled by the thought that maybe some of the people who were Taken didn't know what they had done was a crime, like asking about the done. One way or another, she determined to find out, but who could she ask? Iskra was still lost in thought when the sound of a different horn blared over the rumble of the caravan. They passed through the Shinru town gate and stopped in the market. The trader helped the girls down from the wagon. Don't forget what I said, he said to Iskra, and best you ride back with someone else.
1: Okay, that was Evelyn Puerto reading a sample chapter from her Outlawed Myth series, Flight of the Spark. That's book one in this series and one that you definitely want to go check out. So click that link in the show notes for everything, Evelyn. And uh, don't forget to follow her as well. I invite you to check out our affiliate at Writer's Block Coffee and our podcast friends at Pop Goes the Culture Network. And hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next time when I'm back with an all-new author a brand new book and an all new sample chapter take care everyone i hope you've had a good week and we'll see you again real real soon